Tim asked about the hike that I'd gone on. He could see the stoke from the look on my face, and then I sprayed him down about what I'd found. The wall I'd joined them at was crowded that day, and I recall an old climber from Gunnison being there, complaining about how busy it was and how he couldn't find anything to climb. I knew him, but he didn't notice me, and he was putting off such a negative vibe, I didn't even say hello. Plus, the contrast of what I'd just found made me laugh. It's all in your mind sometimes. There's always something new around the bend in the desert. Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal. You are in Season 2, Episode 5. I don't talk about this much, but the Climbing Zine is one of the most small independent climbing types of media out there in the world and I don't want to be alone in this granted I'm not alone there are definitely other podcasts out there there are other forms of media but as far as print media goes we are the climbing zine is the smallest but also one of the most successful and another thing I don't talk about much is I still want the climbing zine to be the largest print publication out there even though we are small Things like the internet have allowed us to have customers all around the world now. So just a a little, putting a little bug in your ear. If if you want to create something, if you have a vision, put some work in, work towards it and start putting your stuff out there and have a big dream, but do a little bit of work each day. That's my little words of encouragement for today. Of course, we need your support and the number one way to support the climbing zine is to subscribe or pick up a book or a zine or some merch. And there's always a link in the show notes with a little bit of a discount code to help facilitate that and uh, help keep this podcast going. All right, let's get into episode five. Pendulum is a word I've heard a lot lately. Used to describe anything from American politics to the range of emotions and experiences in climbing. Writing and climbing have been forever intertwined for me, and they swing together in my inner and outer pendulums. And so has love and the pursuit of romantic love. Love, I would dare say, is always there in climbing, or at least there when it's a positive climbing experience. And that love can become metaphorical. A great climbing experience can live within one's soul as one of the ultimate adventures of life, love, and mother nature. As I wrote about earlier, I had a reputation for being a writer who wrote about his ex-girlfriends and love affairs too much. But that has never been something I felt apologetic about. After all, I'm a fucking artist. Who shall an artist apologize to for those that do not appreciate their art? To write about what other people won't write about in America is perhaps the duty of the prose writer. And that, after all, was who I was and probably all I would ever be. All of this can seem inconsequential, but I also think it's my duty to push past the trivial and realize that everything is everything, and all little details matter. And if my existence was simply to write, to love, and to climb, the damn it, I better do the best possible job I could and make it benefit as many souls as possible. It was those late November cold mornings in the creek when I longed for love the most, longed to have someone next to me in my tent. And in those hungover mornings, love seemed the most impossible. There was the love of the community. We gathered and ate and drank and danced. 
but I long for the intimate kind of love. I looked for love in all the wrong places, you could say, and women I knew I wasn't compatible with in the long run. Too young, too wild, too many kids from too many baby daddies, lived too far away, or simply didn't even like me. That's the curse of the hopeless or hopeful romantic, I suppose. We believe anything is possible, and it is, but we fail to see the obvious at times when there's a chance at love. And that's how it was this morning, the day after Thanksgiving, when I woke up early as hell in the back of my Subaru, and it was cold, soul cold, and lonely. I couldn't sleep because I was tormented by the thoughts of unrequited love. This one was too damn young for me. Like, she grew up watching Harry Potter young, and I grew up on the Care Bears. Yet I wanted her, and I wanted to believe it could work. We'd gone climbing the day before, and I leaned in for a kiss at the end of the day, but she pushed me back. She informed me that she now had a boyfriend back in Boulder where she lived. We had a fling the summer before, and I thought maybe I had another chance because she told me she'd be in the creek over Thanksgiving. But that was just a friend sort of reaching out, not the reaching out for love. I sat there cold and alone in my sleeping bag for what seemed like hours, replaying the previous day in my head. I wrote sad thoughts to myself in my journal and kept peeking out for the sun to rise over the bend. That was love, the sun on my face. That was a fine way to start the day. At Thanksgiving that year, the sun shined all week. We were lucky. The weather seems to be either sunny and perfect that time of year, or terribly rainy, snowy, and muddy. One year, it was muddy and foggy, and we called it the Mog Year. Well, it was muddy and cloudy, or just plain cold. But the sun didn't really improve my mood that day, so when everyone else went climbing for the day, I decided to go off on my own, take a little hike, get my mind and my heart sorted out. So I drove off the highway onto a dirt road and rolled it up a few miles. Not a soul in sight. Perfect. As I hiked, I started to feel better and less sorry for myself, doing that inner self-talk and realizing it's just another day under the sun in the desert. Things will move on for you. The sun will come out tomorrow. Look at how glorious this life is. Look at how beautiful and meaningful and meaningless it all is. My plan was to hike up a formation shaped like a submarine that only had a few roots on it. But at the last minute, another wall caught my eye, and I figured I'd hike to a wall that didn't have any documented roots or any information. I carefully crawled up the hillside, kicking down loose rocks, but trying to avoid busting any crust. Step by step, my mood got better, and it really improved when I got to the wall and found some unclined cracks, the goal of any climbing prospector in the desert. Each one I encountered made my heart a flutter, and I couldn't wait to get back to the crew and tell them my findings. Perhaps this would be our own wall to develop. We could paint our own masterpieces. When I got back to the main canyon, I joined the crew. They were at the broken tooth wall. Tim asked about my hike, and he could see the stoke from the look on my face. I then sprayed him down about what I'd found. That wall was crowded that day, and I recall an old Gunnison climber being there and complaining about how busy it was and how he couldn't find anything to climb. I knew him, but he didn't notice me. He was putting off such a negative vibe, I didn't even say hello. Plus the contrast of what I just found made me laugh. It's all in your mind sometimes. There's always something new around the bend in the desert. 
Another warm winter with not a lot of snow followed that Thanksgiving. Those seem to be the trend lately in the Southwest. So it wasn't long and we were back at the creek. I've been thinking about that new wall all winter and recruited Tim and our buddy Todd to take a look. Todd Glue is a character. I'd met him through our dear friend Adam Lawton, who died in an avalanche in 2012. He and Adam were best buddies. They skied the wildest lines together, and Todd was understandably devastated by his loss. I never would have known Todd if it weren't for Adam, so every time we hang out, it reminded me of Adam. Todd is East Coast in his mannerisms, talks with that Massachusetts accent, and has the attitude to match. He's the best runner I've ever met. Runs like Forrest Gump, like the wind blows. Adam brought him into our crew, and he fit in quite nicely. We retraced my steps in the previous November. It's impossible to exactly follow one's steps, because though trails do form quite easily in the desert, it still takes many trips up for a trail to really break in. I was excited about bringing my friends to this wall. It meant we were one step closer to beginning the development. Once they got psyched in the wall, we'd begin the siege. We told a story or two. Todd told us about saving a guy's life this last winter by unburying him in an avalanche. He was on the news and everything. And then we gave each other shit and took a break now and again to enjoy the expanse of the desert. It was dry as a bone, only slight traces of snow in the north-facing aspects. The contrast that usually exists this time of year between the white of the snow and the red rock and the dirt was hardly present. Spring would be on its way in no time, and I was excited about the prospect of a new wall to completely consume me. By this point, I'd scored a job in a local restaurant. So I would spend my mornings writing and my nights rolling up burritos, folding tacos, and cheesing up nachos. It wasn't a bad gig, and I could work whenever I wanted and take off whenever I wanted. The owner was independent-minded and was running a wildly successful business. It was one of the busiest places in town. Plus, it was based on the concept of healthy, affordable food. I liked that. I could live on rice and beans if I had to. He even took time out of his days to meet with me and give me business advice for my zine. I knew my spring, and perhaps many springs and falls to come, would revolve around working to put food on the table and escaping to the desert. This episode is sponsored by Osprey. Osprey and the Climbing Zine share the same backyard. Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home with Osprey here in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado. And to find out more, visit osprey.com. This episode is also sponsored by Black Diamond. Another longtime sponsor of the climbing zine, Black Diamond is all about climbing, skiing, and mountains. And, of course, the desert. Black Diamond camelots are an essential ingredient for heading up any splitter. From the new 7 and 8 C4s to the new Z4s, you can never have too many camelots in the creek. But once your Creek 50 backpack fills up, might as well hand the rest of the rack to your buddy to carry up. To find out more, visit blackdiamondequipment.com.
I've never been an aspiring real estate agent, but as we approached the wall, I tried to sell it, showing off all the unclimbed cracks it offered. I was anticipating in my mind their response. I knew they were going to love it. So what do you guys think? I asked. Tim was the first to speak. It's cool, but... But? I asked. Tim said, Well, the climbs are far apart, and there's really not good places to hang out. A good wall needs a good hang, he told me. My heart sank a little, but then Tim offered, There's more walls. Look at him. We'll find another good one. I quickly realized Tim was right, and we retreated to the main canyon to climb a pitch or two before the sun left us for the day. As we geared up, I realized I'd forgotten my harness. Another day spent in the pursuit of nothing. That's climbing for you. Todd realized he had another harness in his car, though. That's climbing for you, too. Your friends have your back. It wasn't long before we were hiking walls again in the farthest reaches of the corridor, where there was no one around, and it often felt like we were in the pursuit of nothingness. A beautiful, varnished wall, looking just like the other classic walls of the canyon, proved to have nothing little more than a climb or two, so we kept hiking. Later that spring, Tim and I geared up for another exploratory hike in an area that no one had probably explored since the uranium days. If anyone had, surely it was a climber in search of what we were after. A zone where only the cows, lizards, bunnies, and birds were. With the silence, though, it turned to focus on each and every step. I'd see things that I never really saw when I was in the main zone, where there was always some human interaction going on. Even if we never found anything, we found a little bit of solitude and a little bit of silence. That silence quickly comes to a halt when you send a boulder tumbling down the talus and watch it gain speed, knocking off everything in its path. Trundling, we call it. It just made you hope you weren't fucking up a lizard's day or something, but it was unavoidable. The paths leading to these unexplored cliffs were never straightforward. In fact, there wasn't a path at all. There was always some sketchiness, which usually occurred as we navigated different bands of rock, and there was a short vertical section on loose terrain. Somehow Tim and I always found these bands and ended up with some terrifying moments in between mellow hiking. Sections like this made us realize this is why these cliffs we were trying to get to hadn't been developed yet. For 40 years, climbers had access to the low-hanging fruit of first ascents that lie oh so close to the highway, with little effort to hike up. That era still sort of continues in its own way. The main canyon of Indian Creek is far from climbed out, but entire walls to be discovered and be developed lie at the end of roads with long hikes. In the middle of negotiating a sketchy band of rock, Tim and I saw the most peculiar thing. On a panel of rock, a basketball-sized object looked like it had crashed into it. As we looked closer, the only way it appeared that something could have struck it was from the sky. We were amused and we were amazed. I only wish we'd looked around more to perhaps find the meteor or whatever hit it. But sometimes when you're searching, you're only focused on the mysteries you're hoping to discover. And I don't even know if I could find that piece of rock again anyways. We continued up the loose cliffside and finally arrived at a wall. Relieved to be done with the hiking and excited to see what we could see, we immediately began our inspection. We walked the base of the wall with the necks of climbers, tilted back, 
looking above, always above. This doesn't look too bad, one of us would say when we saw a crack, but we weren't saying it enough. After an hour of exploring the wall, we'd come to the conclusion we'd come across another bust. Maybe that's how the miners felt too, after they'd blown up a cliff band hoping for uranium and only finding worthless sandstone. Cotton mouth and sunburn, we'd plan our escape. Anytime we'd have a bust, we'd call the wall Disappointment Cliffs Part 3, Part 4, Part 5, etc. Disappointment Cliffs was a long cliff band in the main canyon. It stood right next to other fantastic walls, but it didn't yield many cracks. This was surely to the dismay of the pioneering climbers that hiked the walls and hoped to find what they had at the other walls in the main canyon. We'd been hiking a lot, but we never found much, other than the fun of exploring. The fun of exploring, though, ain't much fun unless you find something. Still, there was another benefit. We found quietness and stillness. The art of doing nothing now had a value, because it seems in society, with cell phone reception and all, we are always doing something. Not always something productive and engaging, but often just doing something that was essentially doing nothing. Once I had a smartphone in my pocket, it felt like a new era had begun. Although I don't know if I noticed it at the time. I was just amazed I had a computer that could fit into my pocket. Shit, I remember mom and dad's computers in the 80s and 90s. Now that same accessibility was wallet-sized. My buddy Dave called them handbrains. And oh, how they have changed our brains and desires to be entertained and connected. What would Jack Kerouac have said about Facebook? What would Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. have tweeted? Everything that was changing, though, also helped me become an independently published writer. As I steadily collected rejection letters for my books, I just published the books myself and waited to see if people bought them and read them. They did. So I never lamented the changes to the publishing world that were brought forth by technology. Still, there was something about the constant possibility to go online. I don't know if we'll be able to truly know how this affects our brains and society for some time. One thing I do know is that, even early on, it is hugely beneficial to disconnect from all of that and just be outside. As the sun parched our bodies, we kept traversing this wall, maybe three or four hours into it, and the character of the rock changed. Cracks, those cracks we'd been obsessed with finding, started to appear in vast numbers. At first, I wondered if they were a mirage, like water in the desert. Could it be? I looked back at Tim, and he had that same stupid look on his face that I had on my face. That validation of wanderlust, accompanied with the fatigue of the elements. I think we found what we were trying to find, I thought. I wasn't confident enough to say it. After all, I knew Tim would tell me the truth. Tim wouldn't bullshit me. When he started to talk, he was as excited as I was. I didn't know what we'd found, but I knew it was something, at least something enough to know that we would return to rediscover. That was episode five of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. 
that subject of technology and how it's affecting our brains and how getting out to the outdoors and clicking off our cell phones for a few days. I think that's a, a subject that I'm going to explore more in my writing. I'm really glad that I noted it there, but it's only become more obvious that we do need to disconnect from technology from time to time. I'm afraid um, that the human race is going too fast with technology. It will be a sad day for me when cell phone service is available in all these wild places where sometimes there's a place you can use your phone or a nice little nook where you can get the internet if you're really up high. But most places, especially out there in um, the creek zone, don't have cell phone service. I think tech is moving too fast. I think that people like... uh, Zuckerberg have way too much power over us and our personal information. And it's a topic I want to explore more in my writing. Even people like uh, Elon Musk are concerned about AI and what that could do to us, even though he's also heavily invested in some of these uh, big time technologies. All I know at this point is for me, my best days are when my cell phone is turned off. I also heavily Just like anyone else, I am addicted to my smartphone, especially for work uh, when I am in society. But this time period where we have places where we can go and disconnect, when when this is over, it will be the end of, I think, my era, my generation's time. When I started climbing, there was no such thing as smartphones or anything like that. I'm not saying that is better. I think there's a fine line. I think that smartphones and computers are hugely valuable, especially for independent publishers. But I do fear the worst. But of course, I'm an optimist. I'm hopeful for the best. I'm hoping that the good people control tech and control our world. I think that's what has to happen. If it goes in the hands of Putin or other sort of people, Chinese government, bad things are going to happen, but bad things are already happening. Good things are coming out of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast season two. Beats from this episode were from Devin Dabney. Check him out on Instagram. Deuces Hip Hop is his handle. He's also a rapper. You can find his music on Spotify and other platforms. That man's going to do great things in the world as a writer, as a rapper, as a musician, as a root setter. He's a great guy. Another great guy is Chad Rich, our producer. Chad's been with me since day one. He is the co-creator of this podcast and Everything you're hearing that's super slick and super produced is from him. He is our digital editor and producer. You know me. It's Luke Mihal coming at you from Durango, Colorado. Spring is in the air. Life is good. We'll see you soon. Peace. Peace.